Oh, look at this. Merry Christmas, everyone, and welcome to the Shop Store Podcast, a podcast for woodworkers and the maker community in general. This is episode number five. My name is Robin Lewis from RobinLewisMakes.com. I'm joined by Joey Chalk. Hello. From King Post Timberworks and Jordan Crawford from Periodic Furniture Studio. Oh. We live stream the recording on YouTube every Thursday evening at 6 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time or UTC plus 10, or you can watch or listen to it later on YouTube, iTunes, or SoundCloud. I want to say hello to everyone in the chat. We'll get your comments at the end of the show, uh, but feel free to chat amongst yourselves. The idea being that this is also a place for people to meet. So what we're going to do from now on is try and get to the comment or the, the comments and questions at the end of the show, just so we can keep the show moving along. Um, but you yeah, definitely shoot them our way and we will get to them at the end. We've got a couple of announcements. The YouTube channel just hit 500 subscribers, which is obviously a, a milestone. So I wanted to mention that. Thank you everyone who has mm -hmm. subscribed. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a bit of a notch on our belt. So thank you for that. Um, I also wanted to mention that we will be adding links to this YouTube video with what we've been watching. Um, someone suggested that last week, so I've taken it up. We've got that in the description down below, so you can pick that up. And in case anyone's wondering uh, what the shouting was in the beginning, I've just put on a Christmas hat for Christmas coming up this weekend, so I've got a little <laughs> festive. Okay, so let's do a rundown of what everyone's working on. Joey, do you want to take us away? Oh, uh, didn't think about this. Right. <laughs> I've been, I decided I've got, I've been working on this um, outdoor furniture lounge thing. Uh, and this yesterday evening, I, I decided to smash out two of the coffee tables for that job. And actually it went super quick. I managed to get two coffee tables in a total of about four hours finished. Um, mainly because I had the process really locked in from doing the other pieces. So it was pretty quick. Um, I'm actually working on a really large freestanding uh, like Victorian style wardrobe at the moment. Um, that's just been happening kind of in the background while I'm doing all sorts of other things. I'll be delivering that in January. So not a super rush on that. And big cleanup in the workshop. I took about 500 kilos of waste scrap stuff away from the workshop. <laughs> so yeah. that was fun. That sounds familiar, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how the small pile becomes a massive pile in the back of the van when you try to get to the tip. <laughs> yeah. I, do you have a sort of a routine where you regularly do small cleans and then a big clean, or do you just never clean between projects? No, no I probably do a run to the tip uh, three times a year at least. I have a, I have a pile and kind of an area where scraps get thrown, and once that reaches a certain height, where it interferes with my other racking of timber that goes into the van. And then we just get everything else we can find that's laying around, goes into the van. And it's usually like a hundred bucks to get rid of that, the van load. Cool. Hmm. George, what you been up to? Uh, well, I'm still in recovery mode, so not really working on a huge amount. Uh, so I've got a new tool in the workshop. If you've seen on Instagram, it's a... Yeah, it was, I mean, it's not something I see getting a heap of use in my workshop. <laughs> I couldn't, it, it was cheap. So I uh, grabbed that, got it up and running pretty quickly, and it looks nice. Uh, and then I've just decided that I'll take this time with no projects and 
whatnot to clean the workshop and rearrange a little bit as far as uh, my timber racks, which used to be at the front end of my shop. I've kind of condensed them to be under the mezzanine because it's always just been a clutter area under there and it never gets used. So I figured right. useless space into storage space and then I get a little bit of floor space back for hopefully a few more benches. So um, that um, dovetailing machine, is that yep. an old pneumatic driven one? Yeah, so it's, well, it's pneumatic return. So right. it, once it hits the end stop, it's a pneumatic cylinder to return it and it's got pneumatic clamps on it. But the actual advancing of the dovetail in the template, it's a pretty cool um, worm drive gears on right. it and it, it has followers and it's all mechanical basically. But yeah, it's a unique, unique kind of design. I haven't seen it like that before. Is it Australian made? I think it's made in Berlin. I think it's stamped. Oh, okay. Jeez. Or, or, no, mate, sorry, Milan. Yeah, oh, maybe. even fancier. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, not not um not gonna get a heap of use, but if I make some drawers, it'll be great. <laughs> yeah, I bet you spend more time setting it up to use it than if you yeah. do them by hand. Well, I think I'll have it set up so it's a constantly set up for a sixteen mil draw sides. Yeah, and then right. you know, from this point forward I'll only make sixteen mil side. You won't need to do setup. It doesn't matter how thick the front draw front is. It's because it's cut the way it's cut. Yeah, it's right. just yeah, draw sides which need tuning. Cool. Yeah. So I have been in Adelaide. I left I left the day after our last podcast and I got back on Tuesday. So I haven't been doing a whole heap. But behind me there you can see a pile of timber. Mm. And that is this area, this workshop used to have these panels of that timber, like uh, it was just basically like a lattice that would make up all the gaps in between all of the posts. And I pulled that one off. I only had to pull off one because the rest of it was tin. And I pulled it off. And as I took it off the wall, the thing just dropped. I didn't realize it was, gonna, it was so heavy. And it's obviously some nice kind of hardwood. I'm not entirely sure what it is. All the hardwoods that I've pulled off houses before have always been they've had that red tint to them so they you know I've always assumed it's some kind of gum this is brown straight brown and it smells exactly like the black walnut which I've used in the past on other projects so I don't know if it is um, I might need to get someone's opinion on that um, but anyway so I've been trying to get the paint off of that I see Cuffy's joined just in time because I wanted to ask you guys about getting the paint off that. It's obviously old lead-based paint. Um, Cuffy mentioned to me that I shouldn't be running this through my thicknesser and, and jointer because it's it's heavy on the, the knives. Um, to, to, I mean, I can I can understand the principle, but in my mind, if it's if those knives are going to take off wood or bone, surely paint's <laughs> paint's going to have no problem. You know, it's going to give it no resistance. So. Is it or isn't it a good idea to put this the boards as is through my? I think tools? with your thicknesser, because you have the insert style knives, it's less of a impact on it. So on a straight knife that you usually get high speed steel, paint will dull it like no tomorrow. But because you're running those carbide inserts, even if they get dull, you still get a really good finish. Mm. Um, so I, I mean, 
it's not great for it regardless it's like running anything that has a high silica content isn't great for it but you can do it mm. um, so that's so that's the thing that's that's damaging it is the silica in the or you're well, just using it as an example the, the paint just creates a, a harder layer for the knife to to have to smash through before it can slice the timber and so it's like just cutting a very hard surface and then it, then it slices through that and it hits the timber and it's you know constantly doing that and that will dull mm -hmm. anything but you know so will cutting purple heart so and it's just it will be more dusty than normal um my experience is just i mean i've just put anything through the thickness there as long as it's not steel you know you just it's so quick and um what you in my experience planning painted boards is that as long as you set the depth to get right through the paint and not halfway mm. through the paint mm. you'll be sweet um and yeah you will probably dull your blade uh for me you know i have three sets of knives i've always got um at least one set sharp and i just you know keep getting them sharpened as i need so yeah and the, and the time saving of sending it through the machine I mean, I know you're not working as time is money sort of mentality, but the time saving is worth it, even if you have to change the blades out afterwards or rotate them. Because, you know, if you're stripping it with a belt sander, that's going to take you an entire day. If you send it through the thickness, it will take you an hour for everything. Yeah, well, yeah. It's, um, I'm on about 15 minutes of board, and there's 26 of them. Yeah. Um, and that's still not getting it all the way down to timber. Like there's still bits of paint here and there, uh, which is not bad because as you say, it's not like I'm on the clock, but it is still like, you know, this is gonna take me a week to, to get, well, a week because it's on and off. I don't have the luxury of being able to do an entire day of doing this. So, yeah. Mm. Skip planet through your, through your planer because it's got the inserts and then joint it once most of the paints off would be my yeah, I'll probably do that. The other thing as well with those carbide heads is that uh, you can rotate them because they've got, yeah. I think, two sides. So even oh, if it cutting edges, yeah, even if it is, if it does destroy this, you know, the, these edges, you know, it's not like I'm running, as you say, uh, Joey Purple Heart through it every day of, of its life. So it'll yeah. be fine. There's certainly tougher woods out there than paint. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So. Today, um, I came up with a topic for today's conversation, and um, Joey not too long ago put out an article where he went into a little bit of detail on this, and that's kind of what got me thinking about talking about this. It's all about finding and keeping new clients. So where I am at the moment, I've sold one piece of furniture through my business, and I'm trying to go out and find new clients. now. I'm all about, I'm all ready to start woodworking and making stuff, but one of the biggest hurdles that I think myself and a lot of people in my situation face is, how do we get that first one? What's that first step? It's not that we don't wanna do the work or make the effort, it's we don't know what to do first. So I've come up with a list of, of things that I would think make sense yeah. about places, you know, places that we could start. And I wanna ask Joey and Jordan to just give me like an, an idea of if this is a good place to start or if I'm completely, completely wasting my time. So I, I wanna start with, uh, there's, a, there's a website we have here in Australia called Gumtree. Joey, do you, is that in New Zealand? I, I, no, it's not, but I believe the equivalent here is Trade Me. Trade it's Me. Like a, like a okay. auction and auction type site, yeah. They've also got Craigslist yeah. over in, in the US, so it's that type of thing. 
I've put up three of my pieces of furniture on Gumtree and I've sold one of them through Gumtree. So it does work. But is that a good place to be trying to sell stuff? Oh man, this is a can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll, mm, well, Gumtree works well and I do advertise on Gumtree every now and again when I want to get something moving. But because it's a free classified or classifieds, whatever you call it, the amount of stuff that's getting added every day is just beyond keeping track of. So you really need mm -hmm. to keep kind of updating ads or bumping them up if you want them to get exposure. But I, I think if you got a, a it's good for product, but not for service. So if you're trying to sell a service, so you're trying to get commissions for custom furniture, it's not going to be as effective as if you're trying to sell a coffee table. But it's free, and how hard, mm -hmm. it's pretty hard to get free exposure these days. So it's totally worth is it. it free, is it free even if you sell a piece of furniture? You don't have to pay a commission? No fees, no nothing, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's I mean, an interesting that's, way of looking at it, George. I've never really thought of it like that—the service and the and the and the product. I've never really thought of that as a distinction, but that makes a lot of sense. I think yeah. it's like that. That's an important thing to also realize in your early steps of setting up. You know, wanting to move into more of a business side of it is you have to decide if you want to be selling products. So you have tables that you've designed and you mass produce, or you know, make five at a time, and you try and sell those to people or even wholesalers or if you want to sell the service of being a furniture maker mm. I mean it's, it's an important thing to establish not really yeah. the top of the show though it's definitely yeah I think you hit the nail on the head that was my gonna be my first statement is you need to know what a rephrase it is very difficult to do both of those things it's very difficult to have some line of products and also at the same time be selling your service because I think they're two completely different things uh, as far as marketing goes. Incredibly different for marketing yeah. and as far as shop setup as well. Mm, absolutely. If you're wanting to sell a product, then you have to have somewhere to display it or you rely on wholesalers, which means the product you sell is going to be a lot less in your pocket, but the amount of work you have to do is less because they do the marketing for it. See, in my experience, um, uh, if you have, yeah, I'm blanked on my, on my big point here, so I'm going to have to <laughs> regroup. <laughs> Give me a second. But while you're thinking, Joe, uh, Jordan, the selling to wholesalers, so selling to wholesalers, I didn't have that on my list. Is that even a, I mean, if in my position, I'm a nobody, is that even an option for me at this stage? Well, when I say wholesalers, there's a few ways you can do it. You can sell your design to people and then you get a commission off everything like that, um, which I haven't done and I haven't even attempted to do. But the other way of doing it which is something which is probably more attractive to smaller people is you look for artisan collective stores. So you'd be going and you would either rent a shelf and then you put products on display. So, you know, it might cost you 200 bucks a month, but you sell 600 bucks, it's worth it. 
or you also have um, a commission base. So you have you you give the products to the the shop or the distributor or whoever it is, and then once that product sells, they'll take probably a thirty percent cut. Is pretty standard, and the rest of the funds come to you. Mm. Um, and and I mean, there's other ways of doing it, but for first off, for just getting into it, the commission style is better because if you don't sell something it's not going to cost you any money yeah so yeah that was what i was going to get to is when if you just are starting out and you make you you think you have a good design and you pump out 10 coffee tables um you got 10 coffee tables. you hold on to you've got 10 coffee tables stacked up for a start you just bought all that timber and put all that time into it and you have no idea if it's going to sell um it could be there could be a major flaw in, in your construction that you've overlooked and suddenly they're all falling apart and then you've got to go and remake them or um so uh i think you'd be better off to understand what the market's doing by doing some commissions and then you get a feel for what's popular i quite uh, easily can feel the trend because I'll get a whole lot of emails asking for very similar things year by year. And if I were to start making product lines, I would just take a cue for what people are asking for and then pump out something in that vein. And I could probably sell them. Uh, I wouldn't do that because I don't feel that I can get the same profit as doing commissions. But yeah, I mean, I. I see what you're saying as and this was this was sort of a point that I was going to get to later but maybe maybe we'll just talk about <laughs> it now that's that sounds very daunting to me to go to someone and say right mm -hmm. what you want I will create that for you whereas if I have a product I can say well this is what I've got take it or leave it you know it's it's less pressure on me as a as a novice woodworker I think the other benefit of having a, a small line uh, for example, you know, you have two designs or three designs that you try and replicate each time is it gives you a portfolio of work for those custom jobs. Yeah, it's it's an important thing to be able to showcase your work to potential clients because if they haven't got something to at least look at and see your quality, they're not going to feel confident in giving you two and a half to five thousand dollars for a table. They're probably looking for really cheap stuff which people don't really value time all the time um so yeah you, you got to have something to show off but it's the finding the balance is the the hard thing yeah i definitely understand what you mean robin about um being daunting and, and i guess this is one point i, I was going to talk about is when i decided and I think I, when I first launched my first website and, and it was like, right, I'm live, I'm, I'm going to myself off as a furniture maker, um, I suddenly became very stressed about what if someone asks me to make this thing, which I've got no idea how to make that. So I better go and make one. And I just made one to see if I could. Say, for example, Cabriolet legs. I had no idea. What if someone asked me to make a table with Cabriolet legs? Right, I'll go make a couple of capital legs. Okay, I figured that out. Check that off the list. And then what if someone asked me to do this particular thing, a breadboard end on a table? I better go do one. 
work out how to do it. Um, and I'm, so I, I had a big list of all these techniques which I needed to know how to do. And as I checked each one off, uh, at least at least getting my head around the process of those techniques, I became way more confident about just saying, yeah, sure, I can do whatever you like, I can work it out. And as long as you feel that you can work out the process, um, all the other smaller things kind of fall into place, uh, for me anyway. Because there's obviously a lot of things that you can do. So, like, you know, at what point do you say, or is, is that, I mean, is that just, just you just got to get the nuts and go for it? I mean, is, is that is that part of it? Because you're never going to know everything going into this, especially not someone like myself right. who has zero trade. You know, that I, no one in my family was ever involved in trade. And my I started woodworking four years ago. You know, that's that's all I've got. So I will never know 50% of what's out there before I ever get to the point where I'm confident. I guess the biggest uh, thing to remember is that you can say no. You don't have to accept any job that comes along. I say no in a roundabout way fairly often. Um, right, okay. Interesting. You, I, things yeah. always crop up. You go, Jordan. Oh, I was just saying with that, it's okay to say no is totally but if it is something where i'm not comfortable i'll often try and direct the customer to something which i'm more comfortable with and just explain to them that you know i'm happy to give it a shot like this but it's a technique no i've done before or if it's something and it could backfire mm. so it's this other option which is quite similar mm. um, but you know i can guarantee that this works it's tried and true for me it's like a table I did with a fin with an epoxy finish. I'd never done it before, and mm. it took me three attempts because the first one there was bubbles, and the second one it wasn't flat, and you know it just yeah. ended up being a, a mission. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting because now that type of conversation I would I'd be nervous to have because I'd feel like that's one my name and B or two it's a customer who I'm. Pulling my, I'm, I'm losing their respect. They're going to lose faith in me if I have that conversation. Um, I don't yeah, what is respect about with honesty? Honesty is just honesty. Mm. Like, that is how you retain customers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You tell them exactly how it is, and they really appreciate it. But because every tradesman is trying to pull the wool over people's eyes, it seems. And it's very refreshing for customers to have someone say, I don't know how to do this, but I'm willing to give it a try if you're willing to give it a try. My, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. I like that. My last oh well not my last customer, but a few a few jobs ago, they were just so impressed with how easy it was for them to have this table made for them. And mm -hmm. when I delivered it, I was feeling really bad because I thought I was late. Like my deadline was late, so I was waiting on stuff. And then when I got there and I had a chat, I said, you know, we said the deadline was before Christmas. It's still a month and a half away. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then afterwards, I got a really nice email from both of them just, you know, saying how great it is and they love it. And then it reminded me why, why I do what I'm doing. And then saying, yeah. we also want next year, we want a big buffet and we'll want one <laughs> of those things that you did. I said, yeah, easy. So... Yeah, okay. Well, I guess that's a good way to look at it. Wins. You were going to say, sorry, Joe? No, I, I think we've got a bit of bad line. I'm getting some lag on the audio here. Ah. 
Um, okay, well, that's, that's, yeah, well, the Gumtree was the first one. That's the one that I wanted to get onto. The second one is your social media side of things. So your Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I've heard some people talk about Instagram being a very good place to sell things, which surprised me. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Jordan, have, have you ever used Facebook? Because obviously Facebook, you've got the, the Facebook marketplace, which yeah. can be pretty helpful as well. But have you had any success through those? I've I've posted on Marketplace several times. Um, mostly, actually, only guitar stands on Marketplace, and I've had heaps of people say that they want one and they're going to come down, and they just don't show up. So I've never successfully sold anything through it, but I have had exposure through it. Instagram is a good good one for for me because it's I use Shopify for my store, my online store, and it's all integrated. So you can post directly to Instagram and all that sort of stuff. Um, but no, I mean, my biggest social media selling point is probably my YouTube channel, which is surprising because my YouTube channel was never targeted towards clients. It was targeted towards woodworkers. Um, I, I can't say that social media has really worked for me other than YouTube. Joey, have you had any experience with it? Um, see, I use Instagram, I feel, more as a to show and communicate with other furniture makers. So I never expect any work to come from it. I know that's probably a bad stance, but I just feel, for me, it's a personal, like, uh, kind of just saying hi to friends through the day kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Facebook, I hate it. I don't know how to use it, just as I have one. <laughs> um, YouTube, I have actually got jobs directly from it. Um, I've got people who call me and literally say, I just finished watching this video. Can you make me one? So from that stance alone, the time I've put into YouTube videos has paid off, you know, just by getting one customer out of it. That's awesome. That's um, really yeah, cool. I think I got, I've had probably fairly large jobs directly from um, some, some of those videos, particularly the big wardrobe video I did. It seems to be pretty popular and people seem to want that same thing. So, um, what other, yeah, that's really it. I think YouTube is the one that gets more exposure for me. Mm. Yeah, I'll just add to my point, which is I've not had any success with like with social media, but one of the stores that I have my small items with, um, they basically rely solely on Instagram for selling. Mm. Um, like a showcase. So I think if your Instagram account is set up as a sales channel, so it's, you know, look at all these products we're selling, and people can click on the link in the bio and go directly to those products it's a good way of doing it. But the way that uh, we as furniture makers want our Instagram to be more of a portfolio, it's probably not going to be as effective as an actual shop Instagram account. Yeah. So I think it's totally doable, but hard work to get into. Yeah. The next one, and this is something we've talked about in the past, Jordan, you and I, is markets. So here in Townsville, they have a market I think it's once a month, 
if I'm not mistaken, and there are a couple of woodworkers there. I've gone and had a look. It's quite interesting. Uh, but there, I guess, this goes back to the conversation we had earlier about are you selling a service or are you selling a product? Um, but I, I wonder, can you sell the product to get yourself into a position where you are selling a service through the markets? Well, yeah, totally. I mean, markets are great for two things. It's a little bit of extra pocket money if you sell something. But my biggest success through markets is through handing out my business card and getting clients approach me for later work. So I will always have at my market stall at least one table on display so I can show people, you know, I'm a furniture maker. But obviously, I've also got shopping boards and notebooks and all these small items which don't cost very much. So people can buy that on the day and, you know, I walk away with three to 500 bucks, I'm happy. It's a lot of effort to put into it for 400, 500 bucks. But like, you know, just three or four days ago, I got an email from someone that saw me at my first market over a year ago asking wow. me if I could make them a hollow wooden surfboard because I had one on display. Um, and it's just, you know, it obviously does make an impression. Mm. I would just say that if you're wanting to be a custom furniture maker, so you're doing commissions solely, probably not the best place to do it because it's going to cost you money to have the market stall. And most people that are going to markets are looking for trinkets, not furniture. So it's more of the small stuff. It's what you Yeah, saying. exactly. So. I don't know if I'd say it's brought in a heap of work for me, but it certainly got me a heap of exposure. Yeah, I tried markets. So here, the markets are only on in the summer season. And um, so we decided we'll give it a go quite probably four years ago. And um, so I had to put a whole lot of money into getting the stuff I needed. I made a bunch of trinkety stuff and um so we spent close to 600 bucks just getting to the point where we could go to the markets uh, i didn't sell a thing in, in the season didn't sell one thing but i but i got one three thousand dollar job out of it so that paid for that but completely nothing to do with my what I was selling, I just happened to strike up a conversation with this guy and he said, oh, you can make anything. Come and make this uh, entertainment for me, entertainment unit for me. So uh, after that season, we packed everything up. I think I've still got all those trinkets in a box somewhere and um, that's it. <laughs> I will never do it again. <laughs> now, now you're obviously a, a, a pretty good woodworker. You know, we've all seen in the videos. Was that just because it was too expensive for people or there just wasn't a big crowd or why would no one buy a single thing? I don't know. I, I have no <laughs> <Fair> clue. <laughs> Thanks very much, ladies and gentlemen. We'll see you next time. Sign on the yeah. front all saying F off. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it was. I mean, John, uh, have you... I have honestly you don't know. We... Sorry? I was just going to say, uh, Jordan, have you ever had that before where you just sell nothing on a day? I've never not sold anything. I've always, I think, once breaking even, uh, so profit-wise, not taking into consideration the actual cost of the stock because it's all wooden stuff I had on hand. 
the less, least amount I've made from a market is 160 bucks, um, which on a Sunday when you get there at 6.30 in the morning and then you're there till 2 p.m. is not really worth it. But you have to gauge it as well. So your first market, you're not going to have as good a sales as your next market because you kind of get a feel for what people want. So I had... My so my first market, I had heaps of Engrain chopping boards, and they range from 120 bucks to 350, depending on size and woods and all that. And I didn't sell a single Engrain chopping board, and I thought that was going to be my biggest seller. And then what was my biggest seller was the actual coasters, which I spent ten but ten minutes doing, and was just you know there was no craftsmanship to it at all. It was just laser engraved with be less shit and don't you know all these weird sayings and people yeah. loved it so the next one i made i don't know the first one i probably had 10 sets all up and the next one i made 20 sets all up and i didn't sell any coasters at that one but i sold a couple of engrain chopping boards <laughs> it's like Jeez. how do you gauge it but since then it's kind of leveled out so i know that small 20 to 20 to 50 dollars is kind of the price range that you're yeah. expecting to sell items of um, and then a few higher dollar things, obviously, because people will buy it. It's not guaranteed. Mm -hmm. Okay. So would you say then that doing a repeat of the market is solely about figuring out what people want? Or do you, do you build up a name for yourself at the market? So is that not really a thing? I think if you're doing the same market over and over, you'll definitely build up a name for you and people learn to expect you to be yeah. there. Uh, I've never done more than a few at the same market and I think that's a downfall for me because people ask me all the time, are oh, you going to be here next week? And I say, no, nah, <laughs> <Nope. sorry." laughs> but I do have an online shop. Uh, but I think the online shop isn't as appealing as an actual physical market stall because people come in, you, you welcome them into your little stall. And like, you have to treat your market stall as your shop. It has to be presentable. It has to feel tidy and neat. You know, it has to have a professional feel of it. So when they come in, you don't want to be sitting on your phone or chewing chewy or yeah. you know, drinking a coffee. Obviously, I'm a coffee addict, so I always have a coffee there. But the minute someone approaches my stall, it's down and I'm there saying, hey, how are you? Have a look around. Feel free to pick it up. Get a feel for it. And then, you know, I I hate pushy sales because it's just... Absolutely. It just outside. ruins the experience. If they come in, I just let them know that, you know, you're welcome to pick it up, feel it. It's wood. It's meant to be handled. Yeah. And then let them do it. And I think they appreciate it because I'll often see the stole across from me or next to me they're sitting in their stupid lawn chair and they don't even stand up <laughs> if someone comes in and they'll yeah. come in, they'll look left, right, and they'll leave. Yeah. Yeah. So you you got to put on your, your salesman suit, but just very like... Invited. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, one of the other ones that I had down, and I think this is because we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, because, uh, George, you were working on, you were doing a bar top, I think it was. You were fitting out a bar top. Yeah. What about the idea of me going to my local pub down the road where I've 
had a few beers. I've spoken to the guy and said, would you be interested in redoing your buy top or, you know, sort of going, just going shop to shop and saying, are you interested? Are you interested? Or are you never going to get a job like that? I've planned to do it on a lot of occasions. And every time it gets to the stage where I need to go looking for work, someone comes in saying, oh, could you build this for me? So it's just, I've never actually gotten around to do it. Mm. I At this stage, um, I'm having a little bit of a, I don't know, a, a mid-finger crisis and trying to refine <laughs> my, uh, my drive a little bit. And what I've got to start doing is I got to go to these, you know, galleries and um, actual studios and be selling myself because I want to start getting a few more items out in these showrooms. But I haven't done it, so I don't yeah. know. I mean, I know that I think it was my grandfather. He went to all the cafes in his small town and offered chair repair service. And he got a heap of work through that. Heaps of like, you know, the wicker chairs that come through. He just had yeah. cafe after cafe asking for this repair work, but it's not custom work. Mm. So I don't know. It's very niche. But, um, yeah. I personally think if you switch it around or if I switch it around and people always walk into my shop trying to sell me things and straight away I'm like, no. That's I don't true. care that I may be interested in that thing. Be cold, trying to sell it to me, and straight away it puts me on the back foot. And I don't oh, think I good. have or would ever buy anything from someone who just was trying to hawk something to me yeah. from the street. But you'd have to do it in a really sneaky way to get past yeah. that first impression. It would have to be strike up yeah. conversation. And be like, oh, where do you get your countertops done? <laughs> yeah, so the bar might be a way to do that. You could go and buy a drink and talk to the guy and say, hey, this is looking pretty shabby. You know, I do this kind of stuff. I could probably whip something up for you guys if you wanted to spend uh, what you know, a thousand bucks or something on a, a new bar top. And uh, that might be a way in because it's already a social environment. Mm. Mm. When I was away in but, Adelaide, I saw this. Um, and this is what got me thinking about it. I saw this this bar, or this bar top in, in a bar, and it was the bar top was okay. I mean, it was there was nothing fancy about it, but the the, the face, the front of it was some slabs, some live edge uh, cookies, all irregular shapes that had been bolted on. <laughs> and like the idea was cool, but I just looked and I thought this, just thought this just looks so tacky. Yeah. And you know, I just wanted to go up to him and say. Come on, mate. We can do so much better than this. Yeah. I probably wouldn't start by going in and saying that your fit out looks like shit. I can do it yeah. better. No, but, of course. Um, but yeah, maybe. Well, it was more from the perspective of, of you. Someone, someone paid yeah. to get that done. Like, surely. Well, you'll be amazed what people will pay for. There is yeah. crap out there. Shocking. Yeah. I would say, Robin, to be cautious of doing any kind of commercial work as in your first few jobs because it's a different kettle of fish um, as far as timelines go and, and what's expected of you. Yeah. Um, How so? so? Uh, 
So first of all, timelines. Shop fitting is all about cash. Usually that old shop is just shut down. You've got a weekend to get in, do your, your job. They're going to be opening on the Monday, which means you've got to, the painters have coming in at like nine o'clock that night. Cabinets have got to go in at 1 a.m. And then you've got to be out of there by two because next guy's coming in to do his thing. And if anyone stuffs it up, you know, it's everyone's fault. You'll be working through to five in the morning. You know, it can't get that stupid. And you're working around other people as well. To add to you're working stuff. around every other tradesman. Um, and you are expected to know what they're going to need to do, especially for cabinetry. Where do I need to drill holes for the sparky? Do I need to allow for a cavity to put a pipe or wire? Uh, is this is my partition going to be in the way of the next thing that's going to happen in the queue? And just generally that you need to build up that experience, I think, because it's a very different ball game and you'll also be held to a very high standard. If it doesn't look pristine on that Monday morning, you'll be back in there fixing it that night. Right. Okay. Which I guess makes sense because as you said, it's commercial. It's not you and your shop. It's it's different. Entirely. The, the biggest thing on which is what Joey said, you know, do I have to cut a cavity or is this whatnot is mm. When you're looking at your first commercial job and you think it's just going to be this, it's not just going to be that. It's going to be a whole heap of other little things which were failed to be can, mentioned. And they can stuff the whole plan up. Massively. Mm. So, yeah. But you've really good commercial clients too, though. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've had good and bad. So. But... Mm. Don't forget that with a shop, that shop is the face of the company. And if that doesn't look exactly how the um, whoever creator has designed that shop to work, because these days it's very particular, they have very <clears throat> um, specific plans of where they want their um, customers to walk in and what they're going to see first and where their eye is going to be drawn, it's very specific. And if that doesn't look exactly like the architect's plans, um, you're in for yeah. trouble. It's, I've had a, th I've had a, I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it's with the artistic director on shows I've been working on and I've had to relay flooring over six times in one day because there was a scuff mark on this panel and we don't want that on the front edge of the stage or, okay, well, that's fine. We can relay it again and tape it and then we relay it and then say, oh, this one's slightly less <laughs> dull than this one. We can't do that. And it's, it has been to the stage where I've put, I'm happy to do one more change, but be sure you're happy with it because I cannot afford to do one more of these. I'm already in four hours of overtime, blah, blah, blah. And it's because they have a vision and they want to achieve it. <laughs> I love that phrase, I have a vision. <laughs> so Very clients dramatic. always have visions as well, but they're a lot more um, reasonable to changes generally. They're, they're generally a lot more back and forth with you as well like you know you'll be discussing it with them i don't know clear and defined than yeah. commercial because often it's someone going to talk to you on behalf of someone with a commercial fit out yeah so you've got that you've got it direct from the horse's mouth so to speak yeah, you know what they've been told mm. so mm. 
All right, the last one, um, which I know you guys have talked about a lot before in the past, and I've heard so many people talk about this, is word of mouth. So it's all about getting your first, your first couple of builds. Um, Zach Herberholz, he was talking on the most recent podcast, uh, the same sort of thing. He got three, mm. I think it was three orders through the door, and he said from there it just went gangbusters. Um, mm -hmm. My first sale, I um, sold a coffee table to someone who was taking it with them up to Darwin. So I was a little, <laughs> a little bit right. deflated because I felt like, well, there's that opportunity missed. But is is that something that I should look forward to, or is, is does that only really happen in a in a perfect world? No, uh, word of mouth is my primary, like yeah. without a doubt. I mean, I would say uh, word of mouth is as important as quality of work because you have to be putting out work that you're happy with and you're happy for people to look at and inspect and critique and as long as you're happy with that then the word of mouth will get around saying oh you should go to this guy it's good work really nice blah 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 um, because there's such thing as negative word of mouth as well Yep, saying don't go to this guy because you, know, you may having a really bad day and the client that you're working with contacted you and you just you know you may have just said not intentionally but been a little bit harsh with them yeah. and that's enough for them to say no nah, i'm not going back to this guy and then if someone asks them oh where'd you get your coffee table and they say oh, i got it from robin lewis but he was an absolute quat <laughs> i wouldn't go to him and then that's going to keep going around so yeah yeah, I had that happen what just uh, really important. I had that happen to me just uh, about a month ago, so that was not much fun. Yeah, sorry about that. I was just yeah. uh, <laughs> was not impressed with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh word of mouth is massive. Um so I guess the way I see it, my website is to draw in obviously new customers and get people to see what I can do. But once I've snagged that customer, I want resales from them. Um, and I didn't used to think this way necessarily, but now that seems to be the trend. So um, the altar I just dropped off the other day, as soon as I finished delivering it, they were super happy with it. We also want two bedside tables and a hall table for our new house. So that was, they just said, draw something up. We want, we just want you to make something for us. Wow, so that's, that's awesome. Like, that's late. Yeah. Um, so that really doesn't happen to me very often because generally people have a very good idea of what they want. Um, uh, and so, so a lot, oftentimes, Robin, people will test you with a simple project. So, you, so I had, uh, make a kid's bed for me. Okay. Now it's fairly simple project. Um, so I delivered it. Okay. Make another one slightly different for my daughter. Sure. After that, I did seven solid oak timber pieces for that house, that whole household. So she and often see often people will tell you oh i've got this job and if it's really good there's lots more work for you in my experience those people are lying <laughs> the people who don't tell you about the work are the ones who have got their work that they're actually just taking their time deciding who they're going to spend their make mega bucks with mm -hmm. uh, yeah Okay, so word of mouth is, and that, and I've heard that from so many people. Um, I think in my own, from my own experience. So I've done, uh, I've done a what was it a 
So I've sold that one coffee t table. I've done a letterbox, and there was one other thing, I can't remember what it was, for friends and family. And through that, they've had someone say, oh, that's mm -hmm. an interesting thing, you know, expensive uh, for them. But um, and that's just through one person, someone has come back through that. So I yeah. can appreciate it, it must work. One note, I suppose I, I feel like I wanted to really point out, for me, what I believe, um, I get word of mouth recommendations because of the service, I believe more than more so than the product. People mm -hmm. are always happy with the product, but I will go out of my way to get the thing done. <clears throat> For example, doing a bookcase install, there was a PowerPoint that was not known to me <clears throat> when I went to measure up. Um, and it was a case of, do I call the client and say, I can't finish the install because there's a PowerPoint here that has to be shifted. Or, okay, I just called an emergency Sparky. He came out within the hour, did the work. I paid it and um, told the client about it afterwards. And then I got another three jobs from that client. And she was so stoked that I just did what I needed to do to get the job done, offered me more money for the job. You know, just, just by going the extra mile, the client, that's what they want. They want a reliable person who's going to get the job done and just get it done, whatever it takes. And yeah. good things will happen. There's one note, well, there's one topic I'd be interested to ask your opinion on, and that is when you're first starting out, I would say don't undersell yourself, as in don't underprice yourself, because <clears throat> in my opinion anyway, and I want to know your opinion, is if you undersell or underprice your work for the first couple of clients, and then word gets out that you're going to be Oh, this guy he made this for three hundred bucks. Can't believe it. Bracket, yeah. And then the next client comes along and they expect a similar table, and you price it at seven hundred and fifty. They think they're getting taken on a ride, but in reality, you're just getting paid the what you should have been getting paid. Yeah. So my mentality is: don't do massive favors on price. Obviously, if you can afford to drop the price a little bit, and it means you get the sale, it's probably worth it. But don't be, you know, working your way out for it's going to cover materials. That's enough. Mm, no, it's um, you've got to get paid for the work. I agree. I think I started out too low, and and had that happen a few times where there was some discrepancies of expectations versus what the actual price was, um, and then it just started raising my price every job. I would just say, okay, I can I can actually charge more for that. I can charge more for this, and so I'd go up and mm -hmm. up and up. Um, so, yeah, I think as long as you're confident that you can um, get a product out that is to the standard required, then um, the client, everyone's going to be happy. Um, it's all about perceived value, I, I guess, when I, because we, now we're kind of getting onto pricing a little bit. But if the client is happy with whatever it is for that price, it doesn't matter what that price is. Um, relative to somebody else. Yeah, true. Um, so as long as they're happy paying $20,000 for a dining table and they think they're getting good value, then I'm sure it's happy to take your $20,000. Yeah, they so, leave happy, you leave very happy. And... Yeah, fine with me. So. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I guess that is a, a big pricing topic on you know, yeah, itself. Yeah, it's a whole different thing, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah, that perceived value of a 
you know, it takes the same amount of time to make a dining table as it does to take to make a coffee table. Yeah, there ain't no right. one gonna pay the same amount for a coffee table as a dining table. No, I've come close, but not not exactly the same. No, <laughs> well, I haven't. That's for sure. I think I had uh, one person pay twelve hundred for a, a coffee table, and that was the the most I think I've spent charged for a coffee table. I think yeah, mine would be about nine. I think I have one go for a grand. Yeah, flat, which is pretty good, but it was a good, intricate coffee mm -hmm. table. Mm -hmm. All right, I've got two more things that I want to mention, um, but I just want to say to everyone in the chat, we'll get to the questions in a second. So if you've got any questions, feel free to start firing them at us now. Uh, we'll just get Do through it. these two points, and then we'll get onto them. So the next, but they're not specifically about where to get started, but more about on a personal level. So I'm obviously doing all of this part-time. I, I have a day job, but I do this on the side. Do I need to mention that to customers? Or, or maybe just a better question is, do I need to be doing this full-time in order to be in a position where I can deliver? Or does this come back to the honesty thing of where you say to the customer, the, the clients, I can only do this 50% of my day. You know, it is what it is. Um, or, I think or am I shooting myself in the foot by trying to sell to customers when I'm only doing this a couple hours a day? No. I think as long as you don't overpromise. So mm. you, know, you say, yeah, absolutely, I can make you this. Uh, turnaround time is probably going to be about three and a half, four weeks. Mm. And you deliver in three and a half, four weeks, then it doesn't matter. You know, you're, you've been honest with them with a deadline, they've received the product. That's exactly what I was going to say. You don't need to sell yourself short because you're not doing it full time. You just have to sell yourself honestly and choose the way you do that. Yeah. So you do it in the sense that timeline, there you go. That's, don't tell them that you're only working two hours a day. That's right. Um, <laughs> they don't need to know what else you happen to do with your life. And for example, let's say it was a coffee table. I'm pretty sure even working a couple of hours a day, you could knock that out in say three or four weeks. Um, that is a perfectly legitimate turnaround time for any professional shop. Right. Well, that, that's what I was going to say. Like, yeah, do our customers savvy to what is and isn't an acceptable amount of time? Well, as acceptable. As, yeah. as long as you've discussed it with them or if you ask them up front, like what I often do is I'll ask them, when do you need it by or when do you expect it by? And then if they say that oh, I need it next week and there's no chance in hell I can do it next week, I tell them, sorry, I've got too much on with other commitments, so I won't be able to meet that deadline. If you can stretch it to uh, maybe two weeks, happy to do it. And more, most of the time they say that's <clears> fine. <throat> Sometimes they say, oh, no, so I really need it. It's for an event. And you say, <laughs> no worries. Uh, right. If you need anything in the future, please come back and ask me because I'm happy to help out. Yeah, and in that situation is when you you don't push yourself to make it happen because that's when stuff will go terribly wrong. Yeah. Um, you just have got to say, look, I can't do it. I really want the money for it, but I, I just can't fit it into my timeline. Um, it's, it's really worth driving yourself down to the ground with exhaustion and stuff just to get something done to a deadline when it's not actually you find clients more happy to wait um because they are especially if you say uh, I, let's say you say i can't start for two weeks and then it's going to be a three-week turnaround 
So that means, in their eyes, that means you're working on another job for the next two weeks. So okay, someone else has trusted you to make their furniture. So I'll trust you as well. Um, if you're just ready to go this afternoon and start, they're like, well, what have you been doing? Why don't you have work? Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that can come across negatively as well. Yeah, if you're too eager, they're like, well, hold on a minute. Why, why, is it? why aren't you working? Yeah, exactly. It's like so I had... Um, had a client, so this is when I was on tour, they emailed me saying, I want a dining table, I'll supply the wood, this, 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 and I said, oh, yeah, I'll be able to help. Um, but right now, I'm actually interstate with another job. I didn't say that it was with a theater, I just said it was another job, so it sounds like I'm abroad. Mm -hmm. um, I get back in four weeks, and I'll be able to start it basically once I land. And right they were pretty happy to start with me, but they said, oh, well, that's great because the last place I went to said it was going to be six weeks before they could even start it. <laughs> right. so, like, yeah. I think I kind of the way you word it is a big way to help your perception. It's like when you go into a shop which sells $10,000 watches, that watch is in a case the size of a normal-sized living room. <laughs> <laughs> Space that's around an item is directly uh, it directly equates how valuable it is yeah, mm, yeah. Mm. us if we have to make them wait to come and get work done it makes us a little bit more appealing somehow mm -hmm. I don't know how it works but it does <laughs> um, it can it can drag on a bit too far where you I've had it where I had a um, I've been booked up for three months and then so I've got three months of work booked up and ahead of me and then I get a client say, oh, I want this, you have to wait three months. No, no, not waiting that long. There's going to be someone else that can do it quicker. Sure, there will be. And then you've got to try and sell yourself sometimes. But sometimes it's just not worth the hassle. And just say, okay, sorry, I can't help. But, um, you know, that's that's how it is. It's first come, first serve. So, mm. Yeah, I guess you've got, to, you've got to draw, well, not draw the line, but you've got to, yeah, I guess just be realistic about, yeah. you can't just keep fitting jobs in. Right. Yeah, you've got it. Yeah, it actually becomes quite stressful to have that much work lined up because if one thing goes wrong, all those um, delivery dates get pushed out. Yeah, and um, they can really become a problem, especially if you chop your finger off or something. Yeah. Shut up, <laughs> never happened. <laughs> um, and then the, the last question, um, and this isn't meant to be, um, What's the word? Some existential question. But how how do you know when you are ready to start? Or is that just an impossible question to ask? Like asking that question. <laughs> uh, like, I'm still asking. Yeah, exactly. So from a confidence level, that's one thing. But from a like a from a shop setup perspective, is there or is it does it come down to what you're saying earlier, Joey, about if you can practice make one, then you're ready to go. Um, so from tools wise, you just have to say like if a job comes in and you don't have a tool, you've got to price that tool as best you can into the job. Yeah. And you might not make any money from that job because it's paying for that tool. But the next time someone comes in, you've got that tool. Um, that's probably the only, the best advice I can give there is that you might have to kind of scrimp and, you know, you might have to lose a little bit. Of actual cash, but you're gaining uh, tool, tooling. 
Yeah. I think if you're if you're driven to do it, as in you're really motivated to just get into it and do it, you're probably ready to do it because you're going to find that because you're motivated and driven to do it, you're going to do it. But if you have apprehension about, oh, I don't think I'll have the time or I don't think I've got the tools or I don't think I have this or that, mm. it's probably not quite time to start because your entire journey is going to be, I need this before I can do this. I need that before I can do that. Um, I think it comes a lot down to your actual attitude towards mm -hmm. it more than yeah. skill prep. Because you'll learn the skill yeah. when the time comes. Right. But at the end of the day, you can make anything with a hammer and a chisel. And if you, for example, have made a, a new basement, put concrete blocks up and put air conditioning in a workshop and have a new jointer and thicknesser and, and everything set up, I think you're probably ready to start making furniture of some kind. Yeah, Whew, that's amazing. That's exactly where I am. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> I think I think for, for me, what one of the things that's holding me back, because I was actually, I was on I was on Gumtree the other night, and I was like, I'm going to put up an ad to say I'm a woodworker in Townsville ready to take on commissions. But I stopped because the one thing that that concerns me is, is my work going to be up to, to par, is it going to be up to standard? Like, if my yeah. family members come to me and say we want a table, no problem, no problem, because I, your family, we've got that, we've we've got that understanding. But if I have the the mayor of Townsville come to me and say, you know, can it, can you make me a coffee table? Now suddenly I've, I've got to perform. So remember that you're going to get information from the client. So if a client comes to you and says, all right, I want a burl walnut veneered um, five meter long conference table, um, I would start thinking, mm, I'm going to have to have a serious think about this before I'm even going to suggest that I can do it. So you're going to get information from a client straight away. I want this thing. And the first thing you're going to think is, okay, I can I do this? Is it in the, in, can I even get it in and out of my workshop? Is it, can I get it in delivered to the house? I mean, there's very basic things that you need to think about um, before you even say that I can, yes, I can take on this job. And so straight away you start, there's all these yes, no questions and it narrows down to a yes or a no at the end of the day. Can I make this? Yeah, I think I can. So let's work out a price. Yes, I guess it goes back to what you're saying about the, you don't have to say yes to everything. That's right. So, yeah. yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that makes sense. Say no to drugs, kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because this this year I really I really want to put in the time because I feel like I'm getting to a point with my day job. While I do love it, this is just this is just consuming everything, every ounce of time that I have spare, because I'm trying to make this work around the day job, <clears> and it's, it's going to get to a point where, not I'm going to have to choose, but I'm going to want to be able to choose. And right now, I still don't have enough. You know, money coming through the door to, for this to even be considered a possibility. Right. So I need to, as um, who was that? Uh, Clash Furniture Makers, I think, was that um, you were saying? It, yeah, he was just saying at some point you just have to bite the bullet and do it, work within your means. And I think that's that's what it comes down to, in the end. Mm. Right. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, so I don't. It doesn't look like anyone's asked any questions, which is fine. It's just uh, Ross earlier on had asked, um, 
are we getting much work through our websites or ah, yes, other channels? Yeah. Um, so for me, I probably get uh, at the moment it's probably about a third of my work is um, from contact forms from my website. For me, it would be next to none of it for custom work anyway. Uh, I mean, there is, but most of my work of recent has come from my physical location because I've got <clears throat> like workshops next to me or coffee roasters who supply direct to cafes and they come to me for, for right. you know, oh, do you know anyone that can do this? But that being said, my website and my rebrand is only just kind of fully mm. integrated. So before, when I had George Woodshop, I used to get quite a few inquiries and jobs through that. Um, but like of recent, next to none, most of it's word of mouth. You'd be surprised, Robin, uh, when I first moved into my workshop now, it was the first place I was able to put a big sign up. And as soon as that sign went up, people knocked on the door. So that's, that's something point. I haven't even done, and I have <laughs> never thought of that. <laughs> the, like I have the space for it, I just haven't gotten around to doing so it. If you think about what a sign is, and that just by having it on my street, and people, yeah, I've got a busy road, and a lot of people drive by it. But uh, like newspapers, the same thing. So a simple ad um, that is nicely done in color um, may be worthwhile. Yeah, well, I know my my mother-in-law, she has a um uh she works from home and she has a sign out the front of her house and there was obviously there's a lot of council regulations about what you can and can't do um but i know across the road someone has a yoga business so clearly you can do it um that's a that's a really good idea mm. it's a really good idea yeah um, i probably get someone once a month work just walk in the door mm. and take a job from it that's a good idea. Uh, Leroy, uh, so I work for an IT company, but I work from home. So it's pretty flexible. That's what I do for a day job. Um, and then the next one from Leroy. Leroy, do you plan to expand to shop one day or stay in the home shop? Ideally, I want to be in a commercial shop at some stage. This was always, this is sort of like a, a stepping stone to doing that. Um, but it's just the only reason I'm not doing the commercial route at this stage is it's just, I, because I'm not getting that money and I can't justify the cost at this, yep. at this stage. So, but the, the goal is to one day be making enough so I can rent a space. Yeah. This, it's, yeah. I'd say before you take that leap, just be prepared for several months of not making rent. Like, mm. have a, I mean, hopefully by the time that you take your, your venture to the commercial space, you've got work coming in through the workshop, your home shop, but you're going to move into a commercial space and you will think that you're ready to go, but you'll find that you actually need a, a three-phase point drop. And as a commercial <clears throat> tenant, it's your responsibility, not the owner's. Mm. So it's like a lot more to consider. So, you know, I had to get a 60-amp supply upgraded. <laughs> or not upgraded. I had the supply, but I didn't have the cabling. <laughs> so I had to upgrade all this cabling in my workshop, and it cost me six grand or something by the time it was done. Jesus. So it's so expensive. Even if you think it's good to go, there's something that will come up. Yeah. Okay. Um, Mark, uh, don't forget repairing sodden chairs from coffee shops is good bread, <laughs> but to get some cash. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and I'm, I'm definitely at that level where, you know, no job is, is too 
um, is to below me, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, if, or, sorry, go for it, John. I was just going to say, if you, Robin, were to advertise yourself, would you be advertising yourself as a, a woodworker, as a craftsman, as a furniture maker? Like, what would you put on your ad at this stage? Maker of things. I, I don't know. That's a really good question. I didn't think that there would be much of a distinction between the three, if I'm honest. I I well, think about what your clients might search for. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, from from that perspective, I see what you're saying. But are you talking about how would I label myself? Yeah, like what would you be advertising your service as? Like, what, would you define yourself looking for work in only making furniture, so you're a furniture maker, or would you be looking at more general carpentry? So, would you? Uh, if if that in that case, furniture maker, uh, I wouldn't want to get into the the. Uh, is, is that like are we talking cabinet maker style thing where? Yeah. You know, yeah, no, I don't. I don't think I'd want to do, go that route. Okay. I consider everything I do furniture making, um, and in all of those things have any of those things have subcategories. I tell people that I'll make anything they want as long as it's mostly out of wood. Yeah. So. That's fair enough. Uh, Leroy, do you do all your work solo? Does anyone have employees? So, uh, well, I work. Solo. Um, I know Joey's got one helper, Joey. Yeah, one employee. He works 20 hours a week. And I've just, uh, as of next year, so January, I'll have a marketing lady who is actually my sister, but that's fine, uh, coming in to take, take charge of the office and admin stuff because I am useless at it. Good, good, but cool. Right now I'm solo. What a, yeah, yeah, that's a, I've, I, I just never thought really about getting a marketer in. That's, yeah, I guess that's something you've got to think about when you are only, but only because of the family connection that I can do it. Or at least I, have time set aside to do paperwork every day yeah. or, or a day a week or something. Because, geez. Mm. Yeah. All right. And then last question. Uh, this is from Ross. What's your thoughts on Carbotech brand stationary tools, more specifically thicknesser, planer, bandsaw, or should I go the better recognized brands? That, Jordan, that's probably one for you because I don't have um, much experience with their tools. I'm, I'm not a huge fan. I don't think they're bad by any means. I just, I'm not sure. How do I say? So the Carbotech brand is like a Taiwanese um, manufacturer and they just rebrand it. It's basically the same brand as Hair and Forbes, I understand, except they maybe upgrade a few things. Uh, mm. I think they're quality, but they're certainly not industrial quality. So if you're just looking for something in your home shop, absolutely go for it. They'll, they'll keep the tune. They won't need adjustment all the time, but you are going to have to put more time into setting if it's a thicknesser. You know, it's going to be straight knives, not, so you'll have to set knives every time you want to change them. It's not going to be a tercer block or whatever. But no, quality-wise, it's up there, but not industrial grade would be my thing. Yeah. I'm not a huge uh, fan of the brand itself because every dealing I've had with them, they've not had something in stock or mm. they've supplied the wrong part. So I'm not a huge fan of the actual brand, but the quality is fine. Uh, my, I guess my take on it is to buy the most expensive tool that you can afford. 
Yeah. Because with, with tools, money really does, um, the more money, the better the tool, in, in my experience. So if that's the level where you can afford, then that is the best tool that you can buy and there's really nothing else you can do about that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can't afford to go up to uh, the bottom range of industrial tooling, then that's where you should be. Um, I would I would suggest to go as far if you don't like even if you don't have three phase, look mm-hmm. for industrial three phase machines and get a VFD mm-hmm. because you'll get for the same price as a, a new Carbotech, say fifteen inch thicknesser, you'll get an industrial thicknesser of the same size, but with maybe a better feed mechanism mm-hmm. the head as well. Three It'll times heavier. Yeah. <laughs> Like nicer finish, but it does mean you know getting those things into position is also a problem. Then, if you don't have a forklift or you don't have a pallet jack, yeah, my pallet jack people best 300 bucks. That was my pallet jack, (laughs) or some some able and willing family members who don't charge. Yeah, my dad's good for that. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes you just can't lift a thing. Like us trying to get my new table saw off the pallet was a bit of a joke. (laughs) I just had to move my panel saw and I didn't put it on blocks in the shop, so I couldn't get tines under it and there's no no like lifting points on it. So I had some pretty dodgy lifting straps. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm a rigger people. I know the rules, I can break them. It's fine. All right, we have gone long to that. Mm. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about what we've been watching. Uh, Joey, do you want to go first? Um, okay. So I am going. Uh, well, I have watched this video, but very briefly. It is um, Guy Dunlap from Guy's uh, Guy's Workshop. Mm. He's um, in the middle of a curved buffet out of a walnut. He's veneering all his own panels. Um, he's super good at what he does, and. Um, if you are at all interested in veneering, um, he's got some pretty good way he does things is pretty good. I do it differently, which is why I watched this video because I like looking at the differences. So yeah, go check him out. Yeah, he, he does some good stuff. Everything's beautiful. Mm. Mm. Uh, I've been watching two, two new channels to me anyway. One is uh, Honig, which is... he. His channel has a little bit of everything, so look for the woodworking tab because he does really cool style and it's mostly reclaimed wood. Um, and he's only a really small channel, so it'll be good to support him. And the other one is Tommy Tom- Tonkins or Tompkins. Um, just came to me in my feed today, and it's just of a really nice drafting table. What I watched today, and once again, cool style, but awesome design. So that's all I've been watching. And I saw a very, very interesting video. It was on the I Like to Make Stuff Facebook group. Um, and this is just, a, I guess, a bit of a plug to them. There's some amazing stuff on that Facebook group, if you aren't already a part of it. There was a, uh, a video of a guy by the name of Tony Raliu. I'm not sure. It's, it's in the description. He has a five-axis CNC, and he took a block of aluminium, and carved out a hollow gingerbread house <laughs> out of aluminium. Amazing. And he's put then put lights inside of it, and it, yes. it lights up from the inside. Incredible. Cool. Did he eat it afterwards? Or? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, such such a cool. I don't think I don't think he's actually put it up on YouTube or anything, but it's on their oh. Facebook group. So, yeah, if you if you aren't a part of the I like to make stuff Facebook group, I'd highly recommend it. 
All right. Um, yes, as Joe said, we did go on a little bit long for this one, so we'll wrap this up quickly. Um, I just want to say, as I mentioned in the beginning, all of those links that are to the videos that we have been watching are in the description down below, so take a look if you are watching the YouTube video. Uh, I also just want to say very mer Merry Christmas to everyone. It's coming up this weekend. I hope you have a, a good weekend and, and family celebrations and all of that good stuff. Um, Joey, John, anything from you guys before we leave? just want to say uh, Happy Christmas and We'll see you before the new year, but mm. yeah. Well, happy new year as well. What he said. Yeah. Okay. So thanks again, everybody. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you again next Thursday.